everyone and welcome back to our 21st and final episode for the season of Curiosity Killed the Rat coming at you with a spectacularly spooky special episode today. Hey, My that name was a terrible is Matt. Pun, oh, thank you. Well thank you. Thank you. My name is Matt. I am a science enthusiast and I would like to start the episode by acknowledging that I am speaking from lands traditionally owned by the Noongar people of Western Australia and I would like to pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and join as always by my lovely, 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 oh so lovely, spookily. You know when you say lovely that many times it starts to, you know, put the little seed of doubt into it. Well, I was trying to think of some I'm other adjectives lovely. and I was just kind of like blanking on it. So I was just Flailing doubling down, on, down the lovely. Hang on. And then I was kind of on like a record loop spinning thing. I don't No, not other positive ones. I was trying to think of some spooky ones. Like I don't know. I don't want to call you like ghoulish or shit. That just sounds mean, man. Like I don't know. <laughs> Point is, hello, Kate. <laughs> Point is, I am here also, both in my lovely and ghoulish. My lovely, lovely ghoulish? Nope, stopping. I'm here. Um, and I would just, <laughs> well, my body's here. My brain, questionable. Uh, but my body is, in fact, I would just like to acknowledge recording from the lands of the Wurundjeri people, as is our guest today, Rosie, who I'll get to in a quick second. But if you're not used to the show, if you're not familiar with the show, I'm Kate, our regular scientist on the show. I'm a neuroscientist. But today, once again, we have an awesome, awesome guest. I'm so excited for this because today we're joined by the lovely Rosie Arnold. Rosie, how are you? Hi. Thank you for thank you for coming. I'm so excited for this. Hello, thank you for having me. I hope I can live up to the hype. You've set a bit of a standard. Oh, and, uh... Mate, mate, you'll be fine and you'll be great. Um, so do you want to tell our listeners, who are you? Why are you here? You know? Oh, look, they're the real questions, aren't they? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I... the big ones. <laughs> going to set you out right on, you know, throw you under the bus from the start. What is the meaning of life? So I was born in Melvin and I'm not going to... I'm joking. <laughs> you weren't born in Melvin. <laughs> Um, so this is a I, conversation for another time, <laughs> fellas. Um, I started doing my Bachelor of Science um, thinking I wanted to go into biochemistry. Um, I wasn't good at biochemistry, so that quickly shifted <laughs> to physiology. <laughs> biochemistry from, is hard. It's that is valid. It's fantastic. It's so oh, interesting. I just fascinating as all pass, fuck. Yeah, fascinating as all exam. fuck. I didn't do <laughs> bio past year ten, and I dropped chem after year eleven. So combining them together just sounds like hell for me. Yeah, look, it it, it was I, like every lecture I was mind blown, but I just could not pass those exams. So um, moved to physiology, and then was like, you know what? I love bodies, but also brains. <laughs> How about that? So um, ended up doing neuroscience or neuropsychiatry in what, my masters. Shout out. <laughs> um, so I studied the placebo effect for my master's, which honestly got into some real trippy states of mind because I was like, am I actually studying the placebo effect or am I just placeboing studying yeah, the placebo was- effect? <laughs> Y'all, it was a time. It was a time. It's just like yeah, while you're doing man. it, they're telling you that it's a degree on the placebo effect. And by the end of it, they're like, well, actually, you were the control. You were doing a psychology yeah. degree. Uh, it was completely unrelated, actually. But do you feel you know about placebo now? Um, I don't yeah. know. We'll see how you compare to the people who actually did the Bachelor of Science. You know, I don't know. I was, I was waiting for my... Psychology isn't science, I should clarify. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
And I was waiting for my supervisor to whip around and be like, cool, so you were the case study. And uh, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and anyway, so I came out of that and I've started working more in generalist science, so science communication um, and also biomedical science communication Um so I work with Melbourne Uni science communication team. I think I've just said science communication like 6,000 times. It's because and science communication should be science. drilled into everyone as being the most amazing and important <laughs> skill that any scientist and non-scientist What's the point of having science learn. if us normies don't understand what's uh, going on? Like, precisely. Wait for my, when you give me a whole <laughs> hour to just unleash my thoughts about the concept of psychom and why it's important. And you can hear a little bit of our thoughts on psychom by listening to our previous episode on oh, psychom recently what a released. Sneaky self promo. I loved it. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so that's me now. I just I just love all science. I could talk all day about all kinds of science, and so I am thrilled to be here speaking science with you all. And yeah. Yes, here on our Halloween special. Ooh. I'm 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 so excited. I've said that like seven thousand times. I feel like I'm. I feel like we're all stuck on record loops today. <laughs> yeah. Are we? Are we being haunted? Oh are we God. being oh, we controlled be. by the tape has been hijacked? Right oh no! <laughs> the this, ghost okay, of folks. podcast past. Oh wait, no, it's Christmas. <laughs> Why is the Christmas story the fucking like Ebony Scrooge one such a spooky tale? It's really like almost Halloweeny. Because Charles Dickens was smoking something. I don't know, man. <laughs> I've actually um, heard that debate that like is it Halloween or Christmas? I I really don't have an answer, but. I've actually heard that as a genuine debate. Wow, really? Mm. I mean, it's literally called a Christmas story, so I feel like well, there's not I mean, much credence to the other side other than that the it's spook. real spooky. Like. <laughs> mm, mm. I mean, but but ghosts, people people believe that ghosts appear outside of Christmas. and that I mean, outside of Christmas, outside of Halloween. Yeah. Uh, Halloween. Halloween is just when we celebrate them. We really should have studied the origins of Halloween We really should have if we were going to. I can, I can, t- I can talk to that a tiny bit. Oh, oh like go. The, yeah, so please do. The, um, within the pagan, at least from a pagan perspective, within the pagan wheel, um, it started off as a event called Samhain. It's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. So some people say mm-hmm. Samhain if they read it straight out, but most people say Samhain. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, <clears throat> it's the holiday before Yule, which is traditionally what Christmas sort of represents. Yuletide mm-hmm. cheer, I've heard that in Christmas carols. Yes, That's the indeed. one. Yes, exactly. So Yule is the middle, like it's the, it's based on the solstice. So the longest night of the year. Right. Yeah. So Samhain is the, there's eight pagan festivals each year and they're all sort of equally spread. So the one just before the winter solstice is Samhain. Mm-hmm. And that's is believed- that according to the northern hemisphere because the southern hemisphere and yeah. northern hemisphere would yeah okay yeah like I I celebrate basically the opposite festivals to what's happening in the northern hemisphere which is typically yeah. based so like when we celebrate Easter for example that's when Ostara is happening in the northern hemisphere based on the the spring equinox mm-hmm. whereas we just had Ostara because it was the spring equinox. Anyway, so Samhain, I could talk about this. This is a whole other, this is just yeah. I'll just start a witchcraft episode. podcast and we'll go there. But <laughs> Samhain is when the veil is perceived to be the thinnest between the worlds. Ooh. So this mm-hmm. is when, um, yeah, so this is when it's you're most likely to be able to communicate with the dead. Um, I did some rituals last Samhain that really fucked me over for a year. So I wouldn't even, <laughs> I wouldn't even suggest them because they were, <laughs> I was like, all spirits are welcome. And um, yeah, I got Not some, all spirits got some, were welcome. No, learned <laughs> 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 that the hard way. Um, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's when a lot of people communicate with the dead. So like a lot of. Interesting. Yeah. 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 
a lot of, and that's mainly to clear away energies for Yule, because if you think about it, the middle of the year, you don't really want any ghosts hanging around um, when it's really dark. So you're sort of clearing out energies and saying goodbye to people, especially a lot of people would pass away typically around this time of the year mm. when it was, you know, plague times as, you know, and like right now, during so like not... the darkest night and stuff, you know, those particularly Northern hemisphere places like long winters and stuff, you're relying on your harvest. And if you didn't have a good harvest that year, then, you know, that's when a lot of people are just going to fucking straight up starve to death. So legit, legit. Like, so yeah. So that's sort of where Halloween came from. And then the idea was, you know, if you dress up with them, you either like, you know, dressing in white or dressing with mm. them, they then don't think you're something to be haunted. So that's mm, why people dress yeah. up because then they just, you look like a ghost and they're like, ah, oh, you're on my side. I'm not going to bother with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's at least a very loose pagan, yeah, pagan yeah, perspective. No. But anyway, we are mm. not talking about Halloween today, but we are talking about some some spooky science. So I, we, we were actually talking about a Halloween podcast when you were sort of blocking out your um, thing. And I was like, yeah, let's talk about like some ghosty stuff mm. or something. Um, and I recognize it's quite difficult territory to tread just because a lot of religions have really mm. heavy influence of ghosts. So I thought I'd, I'd talk about something about ghosts, but not necessarily about ghosts because then it just gets into a whole nother yeah. art, science, religion mm. context debate. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead I thought I'd use ghosts as a framework to talk about theories of perception mm-hmm. because ghosts are things that we perceive. And so how does our brain do that? Because ghosts exist in almost every form of society there's some sort of yeah. of reference to them and they come up all the time and it's like why do we keep- i ain't afraid of no ghost <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so it's like why yeah. do we keep experiencing this what happens in the human condition that we have this kind of um yeah homogenous yeah it's it, it's it's a very universal experience universal despite having no sort it's a of human experience solid- i feel you know, unless I don't know if. Oh yeah, who knows whether animals yeah. perceive ghosts? That's a whole nother rabbit hole that would be a lot harder to test. Is that a pun? A whole nother rabbit hole? If animals oh. have. <laughs> I'm going to pretend that it was. That's the spirit. Uh, <laughs> but um, that was a pun. Yeah. Uh, no, but it's it's interesting because you know they're they're you know correct me if you found anything to the contrary, but you know there's a, there's a lot of evidence that well a lot of the things that people use to argue that ghosts exist kind of lack any solid scientific backing as of yet right but it is a very universal experience it's something that that is reported among different cultures mm. and different you know so there's there's got to be something behind totally. this right there's got to be some universal experience between these that you know that's led to this experience yeah absolutely Um, absolutely and like i think that's the thing is the actual materialization or manifestation of the quote-unquote ghosts we don't have evidence on that but we have evidence in terms of witness accounts of the experience so like the experience mm -hmm. may well be real whether or not it was based on a real materialized thing that's yeah, something we yeah, can't yeah. really prove. We can't, we don't mm. know what caused people to experience these things. We don't have any scientific proof to say one way or the other, but we do know for a fact people are experiencing these things because it's just really fucking well documented for the last <laughs> thousands <laughs> exactly. of years. It would be, you know, naive to just be like, nah, they, they didn't see anything. Because they did. They, mm. they fucking totally. saw shit. Mm. Otherwise mm. they wouldn't say anything. They're not... But the thing is, there are some scientific explanations other than mm. ghosts, right, to, to explain some of these experiences. And I feel like that's where you're going to go with this, Rosie. Yeah, in a way. Uh, um, 
Talking on scientists and whether or not ghosts appear, there's a really funny, well, I think it's funny of a quote, this guy, McNeil, 2006, he argues that if ghosts are real, then scientists should be able to reproduce them under strict laboratory conditions. And if that just doesn't make you laugh. <laughs> I love that, yeah. you know, like, why yeah. can't we recreate this thing? Like, if, if they're an Do actual- you mean, like, we take someone, kill the, someone with what, like, unfinished business Murder the PhD student that hasn't quite <laughs> submitted their thesis yet. So, you know, unfinished business, murder them. Is there a ghost? Yes or no? Yeah, we, we should. You're, you're completely right. Uh, I don't we know if you'd get that one past the ethics that. board, uh, I'll be honest. Uh, oh, I genuinely hope you wouldn't. Otherwise, I have some other questions. Uh, Straight up. Oh, amazing. Um, so I guess the two theories I'm going to talk about, they kind of originated in the 1970s. One's pretty self-explanatory or like kind of rudimentary and the other one bases Mm -hmm. um our sensory experience on what we sort of more know in our brain so -hmm. the first style is bottom up so bottom up perception the idea is that it's completely driven by our senses it's based entirely on what we see experience feel hear and it's data driven so we take Mm. the input our brain then processes it and then it attaches meaning right yeah um this was introduced by psychologist E.J. Gibson Ooh. and his sort of um, perspective. Good old Gibbo. Yeah, Gibbo, my mate. Um, he reckons that what you see is what you get and we just sort of see what happens around us right. um, and that we don't necessarily project our past experiences onto what we're currently perceiving. Mm-hmm. So the way it works, for example, with sight. So we perceive the sensory information, which is the light that's surrounding us. The signal is then brought to the back Cheeky of our- Cheeky little photons yeah. bouncing into those <laughs> eyeballs. <laughs> Um, exactly. So good science. A photon hops <laughs> on tell in. I'm a science communicator. <laughs> photon hops on in. It hits our retina, which is the back of the eye where images are captured. Mm-hmm. That's then transformed into an electrical signal, and that signal is carried along visual pathways that connect to the brain, and that's where they are processed. It's po- packaged um, in the visual cortex, and that's the region of our brain that interprets images and starts mm. to attribute meaning. Yeah. Um, this is an example of this sort of process. Is <laughs> I always cut open capsicums and see faces. Like they always look kind of like a face, like oh, a mouth. Yeah. Yes. No, I've definitely read some stuff about how, how yeah, humans have such a tendency, right, to see, to mm. well, to recognise patterns, mm. especially faces, because we've got, you know, that part of our brain that's especially mm. for picking up faces. Um, and, yeah, like, you know, in rock faces. Trees, in, yep. tree bark, I find is a toast big one. Toast Jesus. Toast Jesus was toast a big Jesus, thing for a yeah. while. Toast uh, Jesus. Oh, no, uh, there was a name for that. There was, like, there was the something There was an episode on Glee about that. No, what? there was a full Glee episode about Toast Jesus where Brittany, Stunning. like, had saw Jesus in a toast. Anyway, I'm now just, like, embarrassing myself by showing you what TV shows I like. So I'm going to stop. I see your true colors <laughs> shining yeah, through. I, I will cop that one. Oh, it's Rosie, even, like, the other day, me. the other day I was like, you know what I feel like listening to? Sweet Caroline. And uh, my housemate was like, which version? And I was like, don't make me tell you. <laughs> I have a memory of like year eight or something like that. And I was having a debate with my friend over which version of Defying Gravity was better, the Glee version or the original Ooh. Broadway version. And I was debating for the original Broadway version, but he had heard it. He was only like, because he'd only seen it through Glee. And he was like, no, the Glee version's so good. I'm like, no, dude, you have to listen to Edie Menzel. Mm. See, mm. Now, now the thing is, right, I will, I will, I will credit that the Glee version is good and that 15-year-old me frothed that version Mm -hmm. hard. However, 
listen to not even just the original Broadway cast recording, just any other, uh, you know, Broadway actress that has played Elphaba on Broadway in the last, you know, many, many years that Wicked has been running. They are amazing. I can't, you can't, you cannot compare. You can mm. not compare. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Speaking anyway. of witches and ghosts and <laughs> Halloween, let's bring it back. That was smooth. Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Um, I'd say that was a wicked transition. Oh, that was geez. a wicked smooth, wicked smooth. You really launched out there. It really defied gravity. Uh, oh, <laughs> but make me stop. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like... perceiving faces in things that aren't. So like in the capsicum example, that aren't faces. Yeah, it, you're hmm. ignoring the context that you're looking straight at a capsicum, and I'm there like this is a dude grinning at, grinning at me. Like this is all I'm seeing. So <laughs> that's sort of an example of the bottom up. Um, method of perception Mm -hmm. and that kind of comes into ghost sightings when you you might see um for example a patch in the dust that might look like a footprint and it might have just been the way the wind blew it or you might see Mm. like i always see like a pile like a a jumper on the floor and i think it's my cat someone might see that and then assume that's the ghost of a pet or something Mm. would you say that like um well yeah another like another good example of this is is the auditory recordings mm, that people tend to mm, use as examples mm, of ghosts and mm. uh, well ghosts not sightings that's the wrong word but you know ghost you know haunting experiences where they'll have some an auditory recording that you know they'll hear you know they'll play and it's kind of like staticky mm. noise but you can make out a haunting sentence like Get out! <laughs> you know, if you really, if you really want to read that into, I, I have a yeah. feeling confirmation bias is definitely at play here. But I'm not gonna totally. I want to hear your, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Um, yeah, absolutely. That that also might come into the top down processing, which is the next type. So okay. bottom up is data driven. It's focusing on your senses, and it happens at the time. So it's it's not based on anything in the past. In contrast to that top down processing. That uses our general knowledge to shape what we perceive. So we use context in that experience to establish what we see. Um, this was coined by a pal called Richard Gregory, again, around the 1970s. Oh, Greg. Oh, Greg's. They're all, they're all great. Um, and they are. They're all my mates. <laughs> and one of the best I'm wiggles. well connected within this. Oh, yeah, community. the Wiggles. Oh, my God. Was he the yeah. yellow one? No, he was the yeah, blue. Yeah, yeah. Greg. I was always, I'm one of four siblings. Greg was and yellow, so we always got split sure. into, I was the yellow wiggle. I don't remember what my siblings were, but I was also Poe out of the Teletubbies, the red one with a hey, scooter. Nice. Which warranted me getting a razor scooter for my fifth birthday, which I just was glued to. Um, I'm sorry, what's amazing. the connection between Poe and a razor scooter? I po- Did Poe ride on a razor scooter? Yeah, was- Poe's got a scooter. Dipsy. Really? That, yeah. was, that was his. Really? Yeah. That's his thing. Oh, that was his whole MO. Yeah. Like, he, been- he got around on like, a scooter. Like Tinky Winky had go. the handbag. Dipsy had yeah. something else. Ta- Lala. I think she was just cute. Lala was just like a sitcom. And she, I don't know. Yeah, she usually had like a, a bouncy ball. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. Poe po was always on a scooter. Look it up. That's, well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. um, we never had anything like that because it's only. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <Rip>. <laughs> it's a small tear. But uh, um, yeah, so Gregory, our pal, he um, decided, or his understanding was that perception is a constructive process and it's built on our mm-hmm. understanding of the world. So he says that perception is like hypothesis testing. You know, we get a little bit of information, our brain assigns meaning, and then we can gather more information and check if that was correct. Um, kind of like if you walk past a bakery, you might smell bread and you might be like, oh, it's my grandma cooking bread. But then you'd look again and be like, no, it's a bakery, you know, in, in the way that we sort of use, like, um, we take 
tiny bits of information, process it, and then put in meaning to it. So um, an example, mm. he suggested that we lose 90% of the visual information we see by the time it reaches our brain. So the brain's left with this scattered 10% and it's like, what the flicking hep? Yeah. So it just puts it together and then you can look again and reaffirm what you see. This happens really quickly, but it's based on past experiences. It's what a double take is. Like. Yeah, effectively, exactly. So, and that's kind of like. Yeah, that's when you're like, oh shit, I need more info. Totally, right? totally. Like, and that's why things like travel can be really exhausting because you've got all these new sensory informations to start pairing you don't really have anything to base yeah, it off right. but it's also why when you go anywhere else hey, yeah, that yeah whenever sense. you go anywhere else you know what a house is you don't have to be like what is this brick that leads to another brick that leads to another brick that leads to a roof yeah. you know like you know what it is because you've got context but if you suddenly saw a house that stood on its head it would completely it would flip this entire situation and you'd probably it would take down, you longer you to say. figure out ha we'd flip <laughs> good <laughs> witty <laughs> Um, and so we use this because it's especially effective. You know, like I say, if, if you constantly had to perceive absolutely everything you saw and and if you took in all the sensory information that's always around you, you would be knackered mm-hmm. after going out for a day. So yeah. by oh, yeah. filtering for what sure. you take in, it actually makes it more efficient um, and your brain just is smart enough to fill in the blanks. It's like, yeah, like I saw a poor, mm. yo, there was probably a cat attached to that, like groovy. Um, mm. An example mm. of this is in reading. So participants find it a lot easier. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's a word. Participants find it a lot easier to identify a letter when it's within a word than just a letter on its own because you're using the context of the word to figure out what that letter might yeah. be. So right. Yeah. So if I if I told you to identify the letter L and I either showed you an L or the word shovel, you'd probably I don't know why, sh- why shovel? I especially think about grave digging. Especially if it's a lowercase L, mm, right? Like a lowercase L looking similar to an I, you have to kind of like really suss out yeah. whether or not it's, you know, the I or the L. But, you know, I know it's not going to say shovey. Yeah. Like, presumably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you assume. Yeah. I do. Yes. That's what, pers- that's what top down perception is exactly, all about, isn't it? Exactly. We have some base assumptions mm. that we need to like survive off. Otherwise, what's the point? 100%. Mm. And so that, that little effect I described is called the word superiority effect, whereby words are easier to perceive. Right. So, it's so interesting. Another way this can is it similar to that? I don't know if you know anything about that effect where you can. Oh gosh, I really should remember <laughs> more details before I ask a question. But it was either you just keep the first and the last letter of the word, or you keep yes, maybe the yes. vowels in place and rearrange the consonants or something, and you can still pick up. You can yeah. still your brain reads the words mm. as correct. It's, it's if you have the first something. and the last letters intact, and the rest can be mumbo jumbo, yeah. and then your brain will just sort of piece yeah. it together. I'm dyslexic, so that does not work on me. I'm just saying, like, what <laughs> oh, the <no>. fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, valid. But yeah, that is a, that's a thing that brains can do. Generally, brains are amazing, I know. mate. Yeah. So a way you can think about this, like, um, is. By having this streamlined understanding, for example, iPhone users can pretty much pick up any other Apple product and they'll get it because they've got this background information. But the disadvantage right. of this, yeah, yeah the disadvantage yep. is that it sort of blinds you to other ways things might work. So an iPhone user, me trying to sit on a Windows computer, <laughs> yeah, being that's like, exactly it. The fucking, how do I minimize yeah. the window? It's not on the left; it's on the right. Like what Windows? What the fuck are exactly. you doing? Exactly. When I switched to an Android phone, like the first month was really difficult, but then it just kind of became super easy. And then whenever I talk to people about like, you should just switch to Android; it's way cheaper. Uh-huh. Like honestly, iPhone doesn't really even do that much. I'm like, oh, but I'm so used to iPhone; it's so hard to get but over. It's so intimidating. I'm just part of the ecosystem, you know. I can just sync it up with my laptop. 
laptop and I'm kind of like... Okay, I know you're mocking me directly <laughs> right now, so please Not stop. Just I do love how easily my laptop and my phone talk to each other, okay? Like, uh, let's, you know... But there is definitely that learning hump to get over at the start. Like, mm, I, mm. I definitely had that and it was really difficult to, you know, overcome and I probably wouldn't have stuck it out had it, you know, not been a necessity because, you know, 2020, Cost- I needed mm-hmm, my fucking phone. Mm-hmm. Like... Yeah. I, yeah. Totally. So that's a huge downside to top-down processing is you get so used to what you, you see and you just can't possibly comprehend a way around it. So that's when you'd go back to bottom-up processing, which is, again, slower, but you learn from that ground up. You just take on the sensory information, process it based on what's happening, mm-hmm. and then you get that. Um, so the reason this can be relevant to ghosts is if you're in a context that you expect to perceive a ghost in. Say you've just watched mm, a haunted yeah, house. Yeah, you know where yeah. I'm going. Yeah. You're in a haunted house, an abandoned lot. It's dark Old and night. Old sawmill down by the river where there was a known murder of seven uh-huh. children. And- or even like alone. Mm. Oh, my friends have this excellent story of we were out at a um, – I wasn't there, so I keep saying we. I wasn't there, just full disclaimer. Um, they <laughs> were at their – um, country house, like their grandma has a country house, and this they just watched mm-hmm. Wolf Creek, which I haven't seen because I shit myself every time I watch scary <laughs> movies, so I just don't have the guts. Mm-hmm. Oh god, big same, same, yeah. Big but same. they just watched Wolf Creek, and it's apparently this guy who murdered people in um, Ruralia, and he had this particular car. Anyway, the, the lights suddenly go out in the, this country house and they're like, holy heck, what's happening? And no. then this car pulled up and it's the car from Wolf Creek oh. and they're shitting no. themselves. They're like, oh, my fucking God, what is happening? And it was just the girls as well. The guys had just gone to do some grocery shopping. So there was just a, a, a bunch of girls at home oh, and they're panicking. No. Like they're grabbing pots and that pans. like the making <laughs> yeah, horror. Right? I'm like, this like... just sounds like a setup. Like there would be suspicious music happening right now and I would be like, bitches, run, yeah, get in yeah, your like... car, Find a cow, jump on it, and get yeah. out of there. Like, I don't know why I thought a cow would be fast and running. I'm just shit at cardio, you know? So, anyway, to, <laughs> but like, what oh, happened? It I ends up, it know. was just like, a friend of the grandma whose house it was. Um, I think he'd come to like mow the lawn or do something like that. So, like, lol, but like, I what know, I know. Oh, horrific. Um, so, yeah, in that. For them, in that that was top down in terms of they just experienced this movie, then the lights go out, which is just mm. signature. They were like primed uh-huh. to be scared, like you know. So th- yeah, I've had that yeah. before when I've like been working at the movies and doing a cinema clean at the mm. end of a horror film, and you're kind of just sitting there <laughs> during the credits, and all of the spooky music is playing. That's uh, been like the soundtrack for the whole. And then film. you go into like an abandoned cinema, and, and, and then well, the, the thing is because the minutes, cinema's but... empty or whatever. But if it's the last session of the day. Uh, the house lights automatically turn off once the movie's done so i've had it before where i've been in there it's been like midnight i'm just looking around because someone's lost their phone you've got the credits music playing the fucking like music ends there's a jump scare at the end or whatever and then all of the fucking lights turn off and if you've ever been in a cinema when all of the lights are off but there's nothing on the screen you know that (laughs) shit is fucking dark it's like 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 you're in a cave with no yeah, lights on, kind of dark. It's, you know, there's no light pollution whatsoever. There's nothing. Like, no, like normally there would be aisle lighting going go down through, the stairs like, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that, so people can make it to fire escapes. But sometimes mm. even those turn off depending mm. on but like, I mean, the time like, of day. Yeah, in that. cinemas are designed to minimize external lighting so that all of your focus is on the screen. Like yeah. that is how oh, they are yeah. designed. It's fuck it, me. It's it fucking makes. terrifying. But yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. So spooky. So you're in a situation that's spooky. Your brain is like top down. Some supernatural shit's gone. Um, so yeah, that's the way that one works. So if you're in 
like, you know, if you're at home and especially we're all, we're also primed to fear dark as kids just because it's sort of the unknown. So a lot of people, a lot mm. of these perceptions will happen mm. at nighttime. Like not many people will, will perceive things happening during the day, but, uh, unless you're having some sort of um, mm. hallucinatory experience. Um, so mm. yeah, for example, you might like, if I'm scared about something, I'll, I will hear a sound upstairs and be like, oh my God, it's a ghost. I'm like, no, it's just my cat doing his 2 a.m. runabout. Like, it's it's fine. Oh, nighttime is objectively oh, yeah, scary. 100%. Like, completely. So, yeah. yeah, so those are the two ways that our brain right. kind of like reasons why our senses are kind of a bit fudgy and that we don't necessarily experience the world that happens outside of us completely. We have our own ways to fill in the gaps or we might just misinterpret yeah. something completely. Um, do you reckon a part of the night time, like, you know, the whole, cause, cause that's a good point. Like most, if not all kind of ghost experiences mm-hmm. are a nighttime thing. And, you know, part of that might be, yeah, we're primed to, to know that, that, well, or to think that the darkness is scary and therefore any sound that we hear is 20,000 times spookier at night than the same sound during the day, 100%. But then in terms of like, maybe, I know people that see quote unquote I say see like perceive Mm. actual like apparitions like figures moving or whatever once Mm. again that's like a nighttime thing but I was just thinking right like that tends to happen people don't tend to have like face-to-face square off conversations outside Mm. of you know movies and tv shows actual you know real human uh reports of ghostly experiences tend to be more like I saw Mm. it out of the corner of my eyes and I was thinking like if you think about Mm -hmm. the retina that you were talking about before Rosie in terms of just like we're talking pure Mm -hmm. bottom-up processing here your retina is designed so we've got two different types of photoreceptors yes. we've, got codes, we've got rods quick 101 for everyone that didn't do undergrad uh neuro but you know your cones are for for color and and shape and you can you can see things more clearly your rods are less good at color less good at actual like shape but you can see first mm-hmm. of all they work in the dark which cones don't and second of all they're really good at perceiving like motion and detecting like when something moves across the f- visual field of several rods so my long-winded like thought here is that like the fact that people tend to see ghosts a at night b out of the corner of their eyes could that just be like a misinterpretation of that motion that we can pick up really well at night and don't pick up during the day but then we don't have that kind of like we don't have our Mm. cones coming in with that extra bottom-up information to be like nah fam it was just like a moth or it was just you know nothing like could it be just like something as fundamental as our visual system you know taking in that information I guess and then it's a part of like there's some top-down coming in there as well where like you see something you perceive it differently from a bottom-up perspective as you would you know versus how you would see it during the day, but then your top down is like, nah, man, you're in a haunted totally, house. Totally. And I, I, I'm ghost. glad you brought that up. Cause I always forget, which is you know? rods and cones, but that's exactly mm. it. Like, and especially because it's mm. not, you haven't got the focal point of, of night vision in the middle. No, you're like, your phobia exactly. so when, is when all, you do yeah, look to the thing, cones, yeah, when you look to the thing, it tends to go that's away. Exactly it. it looks like it's, and then they often people away. don't think to reposition their eyes to where they did see the thing. They'll try to look at it and see it from the center of their vision and they'll completely lose mm. them. Like, it came and went and it disappeared. It was a ghost. But if they actually repositioned themselves completely back, they'd mm. likely notice that same. Um, yeah, mm. groovy. Possibly. Um, mm. And onto the nighttime mm. thing, often stuff. patients who have um, seizures or problems with their temporal lobe, and now temporal has completely left my brain. Is that the front of the, the brain? Mm. It's like the top. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit, yeah. That so, bit. yeah. Yeah. Showing on my skull. This is an audio <laughs> medium, so... 
Sorry, Tay. Yeah. Google temporal lobe. Uh, no, it's, <laughs> temples, like, it's yeah. where your temples are, right? Oh, Into your head, right? right? Temples, yeah, okay. temporal lobe. A quick Google has cool. confirmed the temporal uh, lobe approximately um, is sort of to do with long-term <laughs> memory and storing information. Um, and so people who have seizures or problems with their temporal lobe, um, they tend to report more paranormal experiences. Um, and this is, oh, yeah, this association is also linked with global geomagnetic activity. So magnetic um, shifts within the globe. And so oh, I'm going to, yeah, I'm gonna come and back to this people who experience either these seizures or are particularly sensitive to um, these magnetic shifts, they tend to have more paranormal experiences as high frequency geomagnetism grows. So when there's sort of more magnetic activity happening, people may have these um, experiences more. And this heightened geomagnetism tends to happen more at nighttime, which is why some people think that um, these happen at night. Mm. This is work done by Presinger and Syke, 2001. I might have totally butchered the description. But, yeah, they were sort of looking at how physics plays into how we perceive Well, ghosts, it's just really cool. No, it's interesting that you bring up the temporal lobe because, you know, how we were talking about before, mm-hmm. you know, recognising faces in things that aren't there because, like I kind of said, you know, or well, like Rosie explained, our visual information, it comes into our visual cortex first of all, but then it also gets, like, thrown through a whole bunch of other brain regions, one of which being the brain region, it's called the fusiform face area, good naming. It's a part of the brain... Like around the face area. No, it's in the temporal lobe. Oh right, lol. Which is the whole point of where I was going with this is that it's interesting that you know people with with temporal lobe issues might be more likely to see apparitions because potentially they're just more likely to interpret what they're seeing as something with a face. Because the part of their brain responsible for processing what is a face Groovy is in the temporal lobe. I don't know. It's it's a very discreet. It's a discreet part of the temporal temporal lobe, and I'd have to look at where the lesions were and look into the studies further. But that's an interesting that, uh, hypothesis that I'm just going to spit out there. That's super mm. interesting. I've got a, f- a friend who they like. <laughs> They, you know, they they're really into, you know, um, you know, ghosts and spirits and mm. all, all all that kind of stuff. Um. And they reckon they've seen, you know, had some ghostly encounters and things quite a few times and they've told me about them and they they get seizures. They're right. like severe epileptic mm. and they have a lot of problems with that. Do you know, but is it that. temporal lobe epilepsy? Because there's different types of epilepsy, but got it. temporal got lobe it. epilepsy. I assume maybe because I like that. It kind of wraps that up. I'm not saying that's it what sounds... they were seeing was because of that. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, fact yeah, that yeah. They, had, they have higher rates of mm. perception of things more than other people that I've spoken to and they also mm. happen to be an epileptic I think is an interesting coincidence based on totally. what we just talked about um definitely definitely um, something that I, I think might also be interesting that could add to how people have heightened mm-hmm. perception of things you know around this this time you know one it being dark and you have less vision and stuff I presumably then your other sentence senses then become heightened to compensate for this meaning you're more receptive to the small mm. flashes of light and things you would see small movements you would see plus any sounds. sounds smells stuff like that and then even more than that mm. at night because our own perceptions and things are limited I imagine we would be more like 
if there were a danger and there were a predator, we would be more fucked because mm. we can't seed in order to run away mm. or to battle them. So we need to so be more it's ready actually and like evolutionarily kind of, advant- yeah. advantageous for us to be more like, scared it, in just the dark. Straight up, it's like, more dangerous for us to be wandering mm. around at night than it isn't. So our fight and flight mm. would be more heightened, I'd imagine. Mm. So any minor bump in the night, so to speak, will just fucking yeah. be like, oh shit, what is that? You know, it could be a ghost. Yeah. It could be, I don't know, is there someone breaking into my house even? Even when you're just like mm. chilling in your room and you hear stuff going around, I'm like, fuck, did I lock the door? Or is my shit being stolen? No, it's probably just mm. my housemate getting food. But, you know, you're not necessarily thinking that if you're in that heightened state of fear as well, which could add to, oh, fuck, mm. I saw Totally. And like, th- we all know that, well, there's a whole analogy of if you're losing or if you've got a deficit of one sense, you're likely to have heightened other senses. So for one, you've got low yeah. end, you've got low end, low end, lowered, lowered, lowered. <laughs> you, have lowered. Um, you have lowered sense of sight. But also if you're experiencing fear, something that came across in my research is that um, when you experience mm. fear, you actually experience a reduction in your sense of feeling. So like your, your body is likely to feel less, which is probably uh. an evolutionary thing. You know, like if you're scared, if you've got a, a lion coming at you, you're just going to run yeah. across a, a whole patch of bindies. You're not going to worry yeah, about yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't. So there's that. And so mm. if you've got low and low, end, what is gosh, what is happening with what <laughs> you have reduced? If you have reduced. It's the ghosts. It's the ghosts. If you have reduced um, vision and sense of feeling, it's likely your other senses are going to ramp up a little bit to try to work a bit harder. So that's why people might feel, Mm. I mean, not feel, they might hear um, auditory hallucinations and things like that. Yeah. I have one more. I don't know if you you read into this at all, Rosie, but I've had one other interpretation that I've heard in terms of, explaining once again the kind of prevalence of ghosts mm. at night and and also more the whole um you know this is another thing that's that's across different cultures is this idea of you're in bed asleep and you get woken by whether it's a crazy monster sitting on your chest or it's a visit from someone recently deceased or whether it's someone that you don't know at all but it's a ghost and i've heard that one explanation for this is mm. sleep paralysis which is um, essentially where you're kind of so when you're during during certain stages of sleep, when you're the stage of sleep where you dream, your your body's actually paralyzed, but your mind mm. is active, right? And so sleep paralysis is sort of where that happens, but you're awake. So you're you're kind of awake and you're aware mm. of your surroundings and you're aware that you're in bed in your bedroom. However, your body is kind of paralyzed and also you're still, you're dreaming. Mm. You're awake, but you're dreaming essentially. And then, you know, there's, there's been, yeah, a lot of kind of, I think I haven't looked into the, the, the research behind it, but I've, I've heard that that's one justification is that people experiencing sleep paralysis, once again, coming to it with that kind of confirmation bias or pre preconceived notion that a ghosts are real and like B they can visit you late at night. And so you're more likely to like, experience this sort of dream or interpret this sort of you know situation where you're in bed and you're paralyzed and you're dreaming and you you know you maybe Mm. see someone you're more likely to interpret that as a ghostly interaction Mm. Mm. um but it's actually it's actually explained but it's just a dream it's it's a dream while you're awake which is like fuck me if you get sleep paralysis like i feel so sorry Mm. for you that that sounds like (laughs) it is a literal like wake it is a literal waking nightmare and like holy fuck balls i am so sorry um but also sleep paralysis ain't fun (laughs) 
you know, if you have regular nighttime get-togethers with your ghost mate, I would maybe talk to a doctor mm. about sleep paralysis. Mm. Um, but once again, I haven't I haven't looked into the literature behind this. This is just um, something that I've heard, which I think is interesting considering what you explained regarding, you know, the, the top-down processing mm. side of it. Like, that's how you're more likely to maybe interpret your dream or, or the sort of thing mm. that you're likely to dream about. Mm. It could be ghostly. And also things like if, if you wake suddenly Dunno. at night, often you can get like a kind of a, a corticotrophin or like a stress hormone um, boost, which could then put you in mm. a situation of like hyperanalyzing your surroundings, being like, "Is something about to kill me?" Mm. But no, you've just sort of you've just lurched out of sleep. So mm. yeah, mm. yeah, mm. very mm. interesting. That's a valid point. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. Something off, I off. would would oh, like okay. to clarify before we mm. keep going um, is that the kind of things that we have been saying over the course of this podcast isn't necessarily us trying to prove or disprove the existence of ghosts. What we're simply saying is these are some scientific explanations for why people are perceiving things a certain way. We can only speak for what's going on mm-hmm. in the human body in terms of, you know, what's causing people to see these things, you know, that's, you know, not for us to say whether it was actually a moth out of the corner of your eye or your heightened perception did allow you to reach out to something mm, totally. we don't know about. We're not saying one way or the oh, other because scientifically definitely. we don't know is just what I want to say. Just in case any listeners mm. were misconstruing what we were saying mm. was trying to, you know, disprove or counter or belittle or anything like that. Any Anything to do with, um, you know, ghosts or spirits or spirituality totally. or anything like that. All we're speaking on is the science of how people are perceiving it and what we do mm. know in totally. terms of that. Oh yeah, definitely. Interpret it as you will, but I think it's it's good to know that oh, some of these other I want to say natural explanations just in contrast to the idea mm. of supernatural, right? You've got natural and supernatural yeah. and these are these are more what you would consider natural explanations for phenomenons that are definitely like it, and also honestly, if if you swear left right and I was going to say left, right, and blue. (laughs) (laughs) Red, white, and blue, left, right, and center. I swear red, right, and center. (laughs) If you, if you honest to deity, uh, swear that (laughs) you have experienced, like, seen a ghost, like, fucking, and you want to believe that, like, go, go nuts believing that. But also I think it's important to be aware of potential other explanations, Mm. right? And Mm. ones that potentially have more of a scientific um, backing to them at this stage. Totally, and, like, based on where we are with technology. Totally, and, like, I should totally add that, like, I have had experience that I would classify paranormal that add a lot of meaning to my life. And so I choose to believe them Mm. because they've made me change Mm. how I live and they've made me live a better life. But also on that other note, I've experienced things like psychosis and learning these kind of – learning this sort of understanding Mm. about perception has made me be much more comfortable in taking a moment to question my experience in a healthy way instead of assuming if I saw a ghost that there is a ghost. Understanding why the brain might Mm. see a ghost – gave me the confidence to sort of rethink what I'm experiencing. And I think, like, yeah, like, it, it makes it, in my mind anyway, like, explaining, you know, visual hallucina- hallucinations, etc. like, it, it almost makes it more legit because you're not there sitting, you're not sitting there going, but did I really experience that? Like, everyone's telling me that thing wasn't there or that whatever, like, did I really experience that or am I just, like, fucking crazy, right? Mm. But then being able to explain how the brain is able to come up with these explanations that feel, like, real to you. They Mm. definitely feel real to you. And this can be, you know, yeah, people experiencing psychotic hallucinations or people who have seen ghosts or whatever, you know, they'll swear that it feels Mm. real. Mm. But 
And that's that's because our brains are insane, man. And of course, because it's as far be real. as the brain is like, concerned, you know, it was real. It, that's Your exactly brain it. perceived that's exactly that. It. Whether or not it was per- perception from you know external or internal, your brain was like that just mm-hmm. happened. So that's when you dive into happened. the whole philosophical discussion of like what is real. How can totally. we know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> are we in the matrix? <laughs> Um, but that's a whole, that's a whole nother episode that we've already addressed. See episode number, whatever with simulations, um, uh, scroll back down. <laughs> Featuring friend history. of the show, Benjury, Benji Metha. <laughs> Benjury. <laughs> Benjury. <laughs> Why did I lose it at Benjury? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm professional. <laughs> Fuck. High professional. I'm oh, not. Oh, jeez. Get rid of all of this. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Rosie, yes. was there anything else that you wanted to cover that you haven't had a chance yet before I shuffle us along to our listener question that's very on theme it's very continuing down the same rabbit hole no I feel like said. we really covered everything um I wanted to talk about I, I'm glad it's because I was like I don't want to put too much research in and then overwhelm with information but hopefully that all wraps mm. up well and made sense no, that was that was amazing, and it, it segues well to to my listener question. But uh, one I got a, a little bit ago, but I've been saving it for our Halloween episode because Ooh. it's just so on Excellent. theme. Uh, so we have an email. We had a question from Harvey that says, "Do EMF meters really detect ghost energy?" So a little bit of context. If we haven't seen Ghostbusters or, you know, haven't been watching. Actually, so the biggest thing with EMF meters, because I had to Google this. I was like, I don't, what, what is an EMF mm. meter? Like, I don't, I don't Electromagnetic know. Electromagnetic frequency, I believe. Uh, close. Shit. Electromagnetic I thought field, it was field as but, well, but, but frequency sounded legit. So I was ready to believe either. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, it's electromagnetic field, and it's essentially your stock standard ghost hunter tool in both Hollywood and also reality TV shows that are all over YouTube, Netflix, whatever. Like, you can watch these reality TV shows of people going ghost hunting, and, like, you know, they will – ghost hunters will not be caught dead without an mm, EMF meter. Yeah. And so what, what they – what they claim is that these little handheld devices, um, which like are a legit thing, EMF meters are, are a thing, but there's some questionable question marks around these handheld ones that are sold to uh, quote unquote ghost hunters. But yeah, the, the EMF meter, like, yeah, like Matt, you said, it's it, EMF stands for electromagnetic field. And so your electromagnetic field is essentially like the area of radiation that surrounds you know, flowing electrical currents. So you've got any any electronic device, also any like magnetic, like you can hold, you can pick up a magnet and hold a magnet close to these EMF meters and they'll start going beep, beep, beep. They're the little handheld things that you see. They often mm. flash, you know, for dramatic effect and they'll they'll increase their like, they'll go beep, 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 beep and the beep will increase the closer How you get to the EMF. Basically. And so this, <laughs> yeah, right? Because like the, the story goes is that, you know, EMFs, like paranormal investigators will tell you that EMF detectors can track ghosts because their incorporeal forms generate EMFs. And so these floating figures that Mm -hmm. we can't see will still set off an EMF reader because EMFs are like everything pretty much. Uh, Well, not everything, but a lot of things generate EMFs and they can be like naturally naturally occurring, like in our atmosphere, there are EMFs. You know, and we get a buildup of electronic charges like closer to a thunderstorm sort of thing. Like this this can change. Also, things like 
a wireless mobile phone, a video mm. camera, uh, you know, wiring in a house, like a, a, a fuse box, like a microwave, like so many things. Any electronic mm. current, really. Any electronic current and also any magnetic mm. uh, current will set off these yeah. EMF readers. So the question, coming back to the question, can they really detect ghost energy? Now, this is another one that I don't want to come out with a sweeping, no, they can't. What I'm going to come out and say is there has been absolutely no definitive scientific mm. proof that EMF readers uh, pick up mm. ghost energy. Um, however, but that's also, once again, because we've we've got no kind of scientific, this is definitely a ghost. Because, like, how yeah. do you measure if something picks up ghost energy? You would need a control. You would need a ghost situation. We would need to know a what a ghost is. Non-ghost situation. we don't know what a ghost right? is. Right? Exactly. So it's really hard to test. So yeah. I'm not going to definitively say no. But I am going to say probs <laughs> not because there are so many things that generate EMFs. And, like, even if they do. Okay, the reason I say probs not. It's because, yes, I will concede there tends to be, you know, it's it's true. These EMF readers will beep mm. more in kind of haunted situations. Mm. But there are some scientists out there that think this correlation between like, and when I say correlation, once again, this is not scientifically backed. This is purely sort of an anecdotal correlation where mm. people tend to report that there's more EMF beeping. But say there is, right? Let's just say hypothetically there's more EMF activity or sporadic EMF activity at places where people experience mm. hauntings. Scientists think there's a reason for this and it might not be, it's it's a, it's a co classic correlation yeah. causation <laughs> thing where it's not the ghosts causing the haunting, causing the EMF. It's the erratic EMFs or increased EMFs in a given area make people feel haunted. Well, that's totally. what we were saying before about the temporal low picking up on magnetic yes. stuff. Yeah, right? and that's where when Rosie mentioned the magnet thing before, I was like, I'm a circle right back yeah. in there. Because I was like, yeah, because exactly. I feel like that would then give people the, because they've got A, the top-down belief that they're somewhere where there's um, mm -hmm. hauntings happening. And then as well, they're in a field mm. that's giving this feeling. So then they're kind of using a bottom-up perspective mm -hmm. of they have this feeling and then they're yes. attributing this to mm. this, that, or the other. Exactly. Um, and there was one really cool study that came out of, like, so I say this, but then also, once again, we don't have any hugely definitive proof that EMFs cause mm. feelings of haunting. We've got we've got studies that show they um, can cause fear, like, negative psychological mm. effects so they can cause feeling uh, feelings of depression fear you know and sometimes even visual hallucinations but not in everyone and this is the key thing these don't seem to affect mm. everyone equally so there was one really clear classic example where there was um a patient who was experiencing essentially nighttime visitors ghostly experiences and the scientists were able to track down the fact that her alarm clock was um giving off very Whoa. minute emfs but enough that it like interacted with her pre-existing brain injury wow. to cause these visual hallucinations. That's wild, right? Uh, because it was emitting this alarm clock was emitting EMFs at at a level that was shown to induce seizures in epileptic rats. Coming back to that kind of epilepsy point, um, and also yeah, some sense some humans sensitive wow. to EMFs had reactions to this level. So like it was kind of in that case, it was easy enough for them to be like, okay, it was it was the alarm clock. But because literally everything, like you know, ghost hunters go to places with a whole bunch of equipment. If you've got an EMF reader, you've probably also got a video mm. camera. You've probably also got all this other shit to pick up stuff, right? You're going to have with you that's going to set off this stuff, right? And then the other, the other point, the other kind of like, you know, nail in the coffin is that where do we experience hauntings more? Like tend, they tend to be old mm. 
mm. uh, like buildings and old places and older electronics before scientists really had this clear understanding of EMF emissions, which is mm. essentially like to class- clarify, it's like radiation, but there's two different types of radiation. You've got ionizing radiation and non-ionizing radiation. Your ionizing radiation is your bad shit. Your non-ionizing radiation is at a level where it's essentially not strong enough to break the molecular bonds. Mm, yeah. Therefore, it's it's non-ionizing. And so EMFs are non-ionizing, and there's there's no conclusive evidence. Some people are concerned they cause cancer, but there's no conclusive evidence that they're mm. actually harmful, right? Mm. That's an important clarification. Um, but, yeah, essentially because literally everything that we including our human body like we generate emf it's really hard yeah. to conclusively pin down but but i don't know if we have time for a little like side story do but it. it's really do cool it. let's do it fuck it. yeah. it's the last episode okay so but what so it was really hard to find you know distinct very conclusive evidence regarding emfs but what a lot of what i read a lot of was was people like scientists saying you know this emf phenomenon of the emfs causing the haunting is very similar to the effect that we see with infrasound and so this is where i want to just take a little segue it's not a little segue a little like sidestep it's not quite the question but it's relevant in terms of this is how scientists are answering mm-hmm. this emf question is they're saying well it's the same as infrasound is infrasound and this is really like cool. infrared but with sound well pretty much so you've got ultrasound right which is above above the human range of hearing so infrasound is just below the human range of hearing ultraviolet infrared in terms of like the visual equivalent exactly exactly so it's essentially because we we all know that sound waves are waves of different frequencies and we have a narrow humans can only hear like you know there's dog whistles it's between uh 20 hertz and twenty thousand hertz fun fact uh thank you you heard it here uh nice (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say, you know, thanks, thanks uh, to the sound guy for the little, the little definition there. But so this is this is really cool, and I wanted to tell this story because I read this paper and I thought it was, I loved it. I loved it so much. So infrasound is something that scientists have shown to cause haunting, and this all kind of came about. This idea came about from a haunted science lab. Oh. So buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. So well, you how had, do we know this... the ghost didn't alter the data? Yeah. No, okay. Do you want to hear? Okay, so the way the story goes, and I'm going to tell it the way, you know, the way the story goes is that there's this haunted lab in the UK, um, I think it was in the late 1990s. I don't remember the exact year and I didn't write it down because I'm a fool. But essentially um, all of the scientists in this lab reported feeling, first of all, depressed when they came to work, which like... You know, that's that's not haunted, mate. That's just science. That's just uh, science, no. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but no, they, they felt more than previous people had reported, right? They reported feeling, you know, mm. depressed, um, spooked out, haunted. There was even, like, one guy who saw a ghost. This is the nail on the cover. He saw You're a ghost. Right. and But but he was like, no, nah, mate, I am a scientist. I'm an engineer. Um, I, I don't buy this. <laughs> um, but... I'm going to, I still like fucking, I saw it. I saw it. I swear I saw it. But there's another explanation. Anyway. And so he goes, apparently then the story goes, this guy was also a fencer, like, like sword fencing. Um, Yeah. So one day he brought his foil, which is what they call the long, thin fencing sword. Apparently this is, I learned this. Uh, So he brought his foil into the lab. (laughs) I hope that's not offensive to his colleagues. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. No. No. Please keep going. He was just trying to foil the ghost's plan. Uh, <laughs> can I can I continue with the science, or are we gonna? Um, yeah, we just got to get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> 
except that like foils don't have a point, right? They have a little ball on the top, don't they? Oh, uh, balls! I um, messed it up. Oh man, <laughs> balling over that one. <laughs> I think we're about to get kicked out of the Zoom call. <laughs> Are we done? No, Are no. Are we very done? <laughs> um, 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 uh, it was hilt. I wish I knew more okay, about fencing. Going. You know, so. Good old scientist, mate, brings his foil into the lab to adjust it before an upcoming competition, which, like, I was kind of like, okay, that's a bit, like, what sort of, like, weird things If I had a sword, sword, I'd take it everywhere too. Carry on. (laughs) Okay, fair enough, whatever. The point is, he set the foil in a clamp on his workbench and it started, like, vibrating. Like a ghost was full-on shaking it, like, full-on going, and and it started moving. But, of course, once again, he was like, Did he find he had to be on his guard? (laughs) He had to be on guard. You're ruining this story. I'd say all the dramatic tension that I'm trying to build with this like haunting story, and you're just like shoving some dad jokes in there, like it ain't no that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, on with the night's tale, and everyone else. Um, the foil shook. The moral of the story is the foil shook, and he was like, "Okay, I bet he was as well." Stop. Ah, I think we broke them. <laughs> okay, so he the foil shook, but he was like, nah, I ain't afraid of no ghost. And so he decided to, like, do the science thing, move it around the lab, figure some shit out. Anyway, the moral of the story is he was able to figure out that the reason the foil shook is because of... Of the same reason that all everyone was feeling haunted, and it's because of infrasound. So there was there was a big old fan, like a like a you know a big industrial a fan. fan. Yes, yes, a fan in the in the laboratory. That once he switched it off, first of all the foil stopped doing the doing the shaky thing, mm. and also everyone immediately felt better, Whoa. and they were like, okay. Like, but you're, I can tell you're all being like, but what's the connection? What is a fan and what does sound waves have to do with this? So this fan was emitting this, this infrasound, which is like sound waves of, of a frequency of 19 Hertz, which as Matt kindly told us before, the range of human hearing starts at what? 20. Oh, beautiful. So it's yeah. right below the range of human hearing, right? So you wouldn't be able to hear this or you wouldn't be able to consciously perceive mm. this. Cause this is once again, we're uh, see- seeing the rest of the episode on processing, but the point is, so we just plug all, the episode we're in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I was listening to this. You know what you should also listen to? This. Can you finish my story about infrasound? It's really Please do. Podcast. Please finish You're doing it. Doing great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, question number one. Why did the foil vibrate? Because it wasn't glad wrap. Because. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I was holding on to that one for too long. (laughs) (laughs) Aluminum foil. So I'm going to call it a sword or something just to like hopefully have less puns. Resonant frequencies. (sighs) that's okay. I'm going to come right in with just the big old term resonant frequency to shut you both up because you can't make a pun with science words. Don't, that's not a challenge. Stop. Um, I think that I've been doing it pretty frequently. It's sort of an in-house thing, isn't it? Resident. So the resident, the the (laughs) resident. Resident. It's not resident. It's resident. Oh, I'm glad I clarified Resonant frequencies. So resonant frequencies. I don't know. I'm going to throw to the sound guy here. Matt, I'm going to chuck you under the bus. What the fuck is a resonant frequency? 
Well, resonant frequency, if frequencies, you know, resonate with one another when they're kind of like matching really. So if like you've yeah, got two sound yeah. waves, you know, see our episode on lasers, you know, how they kind oh. of work together. The oh. point is if two frequencies, um, line up with one another they do what's called constructive interference where they'll sort of like amplify each other yeah and kind of self-amplify. like self-amplify self-amplify and double and sound similar to how like if you know you have um you know two speakers playing the same thing next to mm. each other it'll be you know twice as loud because the or more than twice as loud because mm. like you know product is greater than the sum of its parts the two yeah. frequencies will combine and actually get louder and you know fun fact and if so, you use opposing frequencies if you reverse the phase of one of the frequencies you can actually cancel out mm. the sound of one of them which is why you have random dead spots in the room mm. sometimes whenever you've got like a audio system set up because the, you have the yeah. opposite of a resonant frequency um yeah. Pretty much. And so objects can have resonant frequencies. So a classic yeah. example of this is like the, the singing into a wine glass mm. thing yeah, where a shatters. wine glass will vibrate at a certain mm. resonant frequency. And if you sing the correct note at it, because every note can be defined by a frequency. Yeah. Um, and that's just like, you know, how many how many wigglies are in the wiggly of the sound wave. That was a good science explanation. <laughs> yeah. But like when you when you sing the wigglies at a, at a wine glass and they're the right frequency of wigglies <laughs> it'll um, shatter it'll shatter because it amplifies and the thing shakes and until that's what happens cracks. with those like tibetan singing bowls and stuff oh, as well yeah when you yeah hit the bowl and go around you're matching the frequency mm. of the tone of the bowl which amplifies the sound and causes the note to keep right. going yeah uh, another yeah. example of it is some bridges have been knocked down this way where certain storms and winds have come through and have been powerful mm. enough and have matched the resonant frequency of the bridge yeah. and caused it to wibble and wobble and completely collapse Wild. yeah so this is where yeah, this is where I'm about to blow your fucking brains. So first of all, yes, the foil was was sh was shaking because the resonant frequency of this very because foils are very they're very thin mm. swords, right? Mm. And so the sound wave hit it right at its resonance frequency, and that's why it started vibrating. It wasn't because of a ghost; it was because of these these sound waves that were below the threshold of human hearing. But this is where it gets really cool. So okay, we know that the resonant like, or sorry that the frequency of these infrasound waves from this big old fan in this lab was about 19 hertz. Guess what is also uh, 19 hertz? I'm going to go ahead frequency, and guess. Yep. Mm, go. I'm going to go ahead and guess it's the resonant frequency of a foil. Well, yeah, we already said that. No, it's also <laughs> the resonant frequency of Whoa. your eyeballs. Whoa. Yo. So what these scientists hypothesized was that the reason he saw a, like a hallucination, like an apparition, is because... The eyeballs were fucking like vibrating. <laughs> so they're like vibing off of this fan. The they're like, what? Yeah. yeah. And it like <laughs> fucked and it fucked and it gave him a hallucination. Oh, Jesus and, like, Christ. Yeah. And that's, that explains, you know, there's been a lot of studies into infrasound and, and, you know, it making people feel really uneasy or dizzy. It can affect people's sense of balance and breathing rate and oh. blood pressure because it essentially vibrates the cells of your body and fucks how you perceive them. Make and you so literally shook. <laughs> Yeah, like literally shook. And so they, that they came to this big conclusion. There was also like further studies into other like haunted areas showing that like there was one, I think, in the cellar showing that it was the, the dimensions of the cellar were just right to um, to echo a certain resonant frequency that could that was infrasound. Anyway, so it's there. There is some there is some weight to this infrasound hypothesis. Um, and so then people are, to bring it back to the EMF, uh, EMF question is that people are then extrapolating that, being like, well, if infrasound of the right fe frequency can vibrate our body's cells and fuck them up, 
um, EMS could, could, cause it's electromagnetic. Like it could fuck with our neurons mm. in our brain and fuck with our perception and essentially fuck with that bottom up mm. information that's coming in. So that, that combined with the top down of like, shit, this is definitely a ghost. If you've got, you know, this coming in alteration of the actual like bottom up signal coming in, like that's why EMF detectors go off in ghostly mm. areas. That's why people feel haunted when they see that sort of thing. But then there's also the argument of like these EMF detectors that are handheld. They're a little bit dodgy that you can buy that are advertised as ghost hunting things. There's a few reasons why they're a little bit questionable in terms of their actual readings and so mm. you could argue that the whole like they're designed to spook mm. you with mm. the increasing flashing of lights in what you what is going to be a dark area because as we already talked about you go ghost hunting in the dark right the increased beeping like it's designed to build tension mm. and make people feel spooked so that could be altering your top down so it's 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 uncertain what they're actually measuring and why there's a cor- well it's not uncertain what they're actually measuring but like it's uncertain why there's this correlation between hauntings and EMF mm. readings but it's far more um you know there are explanations other than ghosts and there is no definitive proof that it is ghosts and so that is where I will wrap up the answer to that uh, ghostly question. So thank you for that one, Harvey. Can I question one thing about the the study design of the sword thing? Now, as a scientist, I'm like, what are the controls? Mm. What are things? What are some yes. strange experiences? No. Did they yeah. ever measure whether it was actually just wind generated by the fan that then also had any impact on the ambience? Did they, did they like you know? It'd be cool if they put um, another fan in and saw if it was just the wind motion, or. Yeah, no, there was a definite lack of, first of all, controls mm. in this in this study. It was very much the anecdotal case reports of all the people reporting that they felt haunted, reporting that the thing mm. shook, um, and then reporting that they felt better once they turned the mm. fan off. So definitely keep that in mind in the interpretation. Um, but in terms of the wind from mm. the fan shaking the thing, no, it definitely wasn't that because he did all these complicated things where he moved it around the room to different okay. points and calculated what the the sound waves would be doing at any point and and did some cool complicated math stuff that I'll be completely honest I didn't follow yeah. but um yeah cool. there's take it as as an alternative interpretation rather than anything conclusive mm. but still an alternative to interpretation that's very well grounded in scientific theory as we currently understand it really? so yeah yes. I like that that's very cool mm. nice Mm, I thought so. I thought so. Well, I think um, that probably is a good spot to wrap up the episode for today. Mm, Wrapped in foil and everything. Our 21st episode, episode 9 plus 10. <laughs> Much like Halloween, bringing back the dead. Yeah. The dead memes there that neither of you guys get. No, is that the you stupid? Is it that one? No, I'm not. What's 9 plus 10? 21? You stupid. It's, uh, <laughs> okay. it's classic. <laughs> Classic. So really, I am the oh. only fool that, that didn't Do understand. Do you even internet? I mean, come on. <laughs> Do you even internet? <laughs> Look, oh. I exclusively read peer-reviewed studies. Anything less is not worth my time. <laughs> oh, That's a geez. lie. Please send me emails. Matt, where can they send us emails? They can send us emails at curiosityrat at gmail.com. And I will read those emails even if they're not peer-reviewed. I promise. <laughs> 
We should say, yes, we are going to be taking a bit of a break. Um, yes. We've been running season one for just under a year now. Um, yeah, which I'm 2020. Proud of us for the year out. of insanity is I'm the I'm glad year that we of... chose to mm. do a podcast <laughs> this year. It was completely coincidental. Um, yeah, no, it's it's been great. And I hope you guys have found it as enjoyable and enlightening mm. and entertaining as I have to, you know, make it. It's been a blast. Um, but we will be back. Do not fear. This is not the end. This is not the end. We're just going to be taking be a break until the end of the year and over Christmas, but we'll be coming back fresh yep. in the new year. Yep. So please Listen, keep sending us yeah. emails because we'll keep reading them and it gives oh, us a nice little sure. database to work off until next time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be amazing. So thank you again, Rosie, for coming on for this last exciting Halloween special. I, oh my gosh, that was... That was great. I loved that. I loved everything about that, except for maybe when you guys roasted me in time. Hey, that was spectacular. Would you say you uh, weren't a fan? Weren't a fan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because cause, cause it was cause it was a fan that caused the resonant I think we, we foiled their uh, story. <laughs> 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 and so with that, I'm not going to tell you where you can find Rosie to follow more of her. Because I don't Don't like at her. me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I forgive you for your puns. In fact, I embrace them. Um, Rosie, if if our listeners loved everything you had to say, where can they find you if they want oh, more well, of I you? exist here on planet Earth, um, and you can find <laughs> Good place to start. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Twitter at Nutri N-U-T-R-I-N-U-R-O-S-I-E. That's from back when I wanted to be a nutritionist biochemist mm. and I just haven't bothered to think of anything else to change it to. <laughs> so <laughs> you can you can add nah, me there. Um, and I also I also manage the Unimelp Psycom um, Twitter account as well. So you can also tweet us there. If you do any yeah, cool Psycom, give, give me a good. holler and um, we can chat about featuring you as well. That's a plug for myself. I don't know if that's legal, mm. but I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything's legal when you make the rules. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, and all of those links to find Rosie will be down in the description. And, of course, you can follow us if you don't already. Give us a cheeky follow, cheeky so like on cheek. Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. <laughs> you can find us at Curiosity Rat. It's our Twitter and Insta handle, or search us up, Curiosity Killed the Rat. And we will keep you posted on all of those socials about when Season 2 is going to be coming at you. So, Thank yeah. you so much for having me. I forgot That's to say that. That's all right. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome to be here, and I hope that you learned something about uh processing we definitely did or at least i definitely did love you all bye Bye. thanks guys (laughs) see you later